1: Welcome to a special edition of the Baseball America podcast. This is a bonus podcast as Baseball America's Chris Klein is down in the Dominican Republic covering the Caribbean series. And in addition to posting numerous posts about the series on the Baseball America Prospects blog at baseballamerica.com slash blog slash prospects, he's also dropping off some uh, interviews, some thoughts of his while he's down there, you know, heading around the country. And so today you're going to hear from Yankees linguist Ryan Anderson, who teaches uh, English to Latin prospects at the Teams uh, Academy down in the Dominican, as well as Pirates Director of International Scouting, Rene Gallo. And in addition to that, Chris uh, Klein did go over to kind of tour around a couple of the different complexes and, drops and gives us his thoughts on those. So special podcast we'll be hopefully have a couple more of these before uh, Chris gets back from the Caribbean and hope you enjoy it Chris Klein of Baseball America here with
3: Ron Anderson hello Chris um, the English, English teacher here at the Yankees Dominican Complex um, how long have you been here
2: I uh, got here in October of 2006
3: ok and it's a year round
2: yeah it's a 10 month contract it's okay. a special program that is uh, sponsored and funded by the State Department and Georgetown University. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's an English, English Language Fellowship Program. It's okay. for recent master's graduates in the uh, related fields of uh, teaching English.
3: Okay, so what, what um, you know, basically, is it just teaching these guys... Basic English skills? Is it?
2: Yeah, Uh, mainly I'm trying to get them up to conversational levels so they can, when they go to the states, they can make requests like restaurants and places like that. Some of them have pretty good skills already, so we're a lot of cultural stuff that I try to do with them. Right. If they've never been to the states before,
3: what is there? I mean, within the cultural stuff, so it goes beyond just English instruction.
2: Yeah, we might. Uh, special terminology in English language teaching called content-based instruction, where you're teaching content, but you're teaching it through the language of English, so your focus isn't necessarily on the, like grammar, for example. Right. But uh, So you're teaching content, like cultural stuff, like, okay. say, like ordering stuff in a restaurant, and what kind of restaurants you can expect in the States and, and the various situations you're going to find. But I'm teaching them in English, so they're yeah. learning the language, and I teach grammar too, of course. <laughs> of course. So there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of stuff.
3: The, uh, do you live here in the Dominican? Yeah,
2: I live right here. I stay on ah, campus 24 okay. uh, seven, uh, except for the time that the campus is closed, which was a couple of months in December, month and a half December and middle of January, and then again from uh, the uh, end of the contract, which in my case is July, up until. It, uh, started again. In, uh,
3: so does the 11 o'clock curfew on weeknights apply to you as well?
2: Uh, no, but I never go out. It's <laughs> <laughs> still so 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. I usually bed by 9 o'clock.
3: What, what is it? Walk me through a typical day.
2: Okay, typically I'm, I'm I'm up about 5, believe it or not, in the morning. And I jog for about an hour or so early in the morning. It's nice and cool. Finish I had eat breakfast and I come back in and work on the lesson plans for the day. The specifics of it, anyway. Usually over the weekend, I spend at least a couple of hours doing a, a general overview of what I, what I want to do in the upcoming week for each day. And then I'll get into the specifics of the lesson that morning and a little bit into the afternoon. So it's a five-day five, five day a week, I'm sorry. It's a five-day? Yeah, we're doing classes five days a okay. week, uh, three hours a day. Okay. okay. We've got four different groups. They're getting about four hours of English a day. Plus, I'm here talking to them all the time in English. I try not to speak them. Too much Spanish, yeah. man. I don't know that much Spanish, so uh, yeah. And and then the classes begin at three thirty and run until six thirty each day. Okay, and
3: so that's a that's a cool day. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is there a time of year that's that's busier than normal? I, I would think when the summer league's here, it's a little crazier than. Um, actually, when the summer league is here, it's it's
2: it's fine because the players that are here are going to be here for three or four months and i can get a pretty much a set curriculum oh, okay. uh, going with them right now it's busy with people coming and going all the time uh. students and students are coming in new students and players and it can get pretty hectic like near the end of february half the guys are going to be on to tampa yeah another group's coming in to replace them and then near the end of March, that happens all over again, and so.
3: And does that happen in July again? With the, I mean, with several new players coming in after they, because that's when the.
2: Yeah, that's when they signed the sign right. contracts. I think last year there were only about thirteen new ones okay. came in, so there's not a huge turnover uh, like it is now. It's okay. not quite as disruptive or <laughs> test my flexibility anyway.
3: Yeah. So is it. I mean, I imagine you, you taught in the States as well, is that? No, I've never taught in the States. I really? Didn't.
2: Yeah, I got my master's degree from the University of Montana in Applied Linguistics uh, just recently. I have taught in uh, South Korea for a few years. I was in Morocco in the same program uh, for one year, and then I landed this
3: job. Wow. Uh, out of the blue. That just shot my whole question, was how different was it to, <laughs> to teach kids in the States and, and teach kids here? Uh, but you've been I a lot of places. Is yeah. it is any different here? Is it uh just visualize uh,
2: typical, whatever that might be, uh, high school classroom, and these kids, these guys are mostly between the ages of seventeen and, and nineteen or twenty. Right. So there's a lot of like high school age kids. Uh, for the most part, they're very pleasant, nice young men. Uh, no problems with them. There's always a few who aren't quite, shall we say, quite as motivated as others to learn learn English. Right. But that's true anywhere you're going to go. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, a, it's a fun job. I try to keep it fun with for them and for me. I don't want to bore them or myself. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I, compared to a typical U.S. classroom, I would, not having taught there, I can't really uh, be too sure about it. But I, I would say there's not much difference. Uh, okay. Of course, there are the cultural differences, I suppose. Right. Uh, there's no girls here for them to, yeah. to date and all that. So that's <laughs> totally a different, of course. So, but yeah, I couldn't really give a definitive answer. Okay. That.
3: Uh Again, Chris Klein here with Ron Anderson, English teacher here at the Dominican uh, Complex uh, for the New York Yankees. Uh, so, what was it like when you got when when you landed this job? So you landed this job. Uh, how do you feel being a Yankee? I've been a
2: Yankee fan all my life since really? I was a kid, since 1950. I can Pinpoint the exact date, practically. Since wow. 1958. Wow. When the Yankees came back to beat the uh, Milwaukee Braves, being down 3-1 to one in the World Series, they won three straight. And it's a story, a uh, family story. My uncle was writing me about the, being a Yankee from the North and me living, having recently moved to Texas. <laughs> so, and when the Yankees, and I didn't know anything about baseball, and the Yankees... Came back to win the series. I had naturally identified with the Yankees since I had been taking the ribbing from my uncle, and it
3: gave me a nice family with a little rivalry. There, yeah, too.
2: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and I've loved them ever since. So this was like a dream come true. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Probably.
3: Yeah, he said when we were down at lunch. you said that was your dream job.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always, I've always liked the Yankees. I've never, even through their leaner years in the uh, uh, late '60s and seven or late '70s to the. Through the 80s and up to the 90s, I you know,
3: stuck by them. 80s were a tough time. They were, yeah. They were, they were pretty tough time. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw that in there. That's okay. Uh, Ron, thank you so much for your time. Yankee through and through. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, Chris Klein, Baseball America. Ron Anderson. Thanks, Chris. Thank appreciate you. it. Chris Klein here from Baseball America, um, down here in San Pedro de Macariz, right. uh, Dominican Republic, uh, with the Pirates uh, International oh, Director, director of, Latin- of Latin American Operations. Sorry, Renee. Uh, Renee Gallo. Yeah. Uh, and you were telling me an interesting story, uh, kind of the history of the, of the town uh, on the way in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you would want to share that with. Uh,
0: Yeah, uh, what happens is, you know, this this town has produced a lot of Major League Baseball players, from Rico Cardi, uh, you know, Pedro Guerrero, Julio Franco, you know, just many. And people wonder, well, why did so many come from this town? Well, in this town here, obviously, when we were coming in, you saw it, they have a sugar refinery. During the Spanish-American War, the Cubans sent some of their sugar workers here to San Pedro, and that's where they brought baseball because the english people were the ones that had the town they had the sugar refinery at that time time and that's why you see names like george bell mariano duncan because of the english uh, and they had cricket and would give it to the slaves when the cubans brought baseball they took to baseball And that's why this was really kind of the birthplace of baseball in the dominican republic a lot of a lot of people um... in the states are familiar with uh
3: the way scouting works and it's mm-hmm. completely different I was wondering if you could just give maybe like a, a scouting 101 in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela anywhere that you might go uh, that would differ I mean I know you were an area guy mm-hmm. for a long time what what are the differences for you
0: the biggest difference here is in that in the states um, there's a lot of information uh, and you know, available credible information that you will get from, you know, college coaches, things of that nature. So, most of the time, what happens in the Dominican Republic, or rather in Latin America, is that um, it, it's different in the States. In the States, 90% of the time, money, bonus money paid to a player equals ability. It drops to about 50% in Latin America. Just because a guy got a lot of money doesn't mean he's good, just because he got a little money doesn't mean he's bad. And and so, anyway, what what makes a guy get a lot of money here? Usually it's a, a guy that uh, an agent, an American agent, has gotten a hold of. And he starts, you know, sending faxes and things of that nature. And all of a sudden, as, as a result of that, you get this high-profile label on a guy. So when I come here, I'm trying to establish, is that high-profile status merited? Or am I going to get a comparable player $20,000? And so that's the biggest deal. Now there's times where that status is merited, but most of the time it's not. So you can get a comparable player for a lot less money. I'll give you an example in that, for instance, um, Guzman, the guy that originally signed with the Dodgers, got two point two million, and has been basically an up-down AAA player. That same year, they gave Willie Ibar a million six. That same year, when we were with Cleveland, we gave. Um, Eighteen thousand dollars to Johnny Peralta, twenty-five thousand to Willie Tavares, and ten thousand Hector Luna. So, not a bad haul. Not a bad. Not not a bad. Not a bad.
3: Hole. Um, the uh, the on the way in. I mean, just for me being like the total gringo. We're you know we're driving through a very uh, poor area of town, and then a dirt, basically a dirt road to get back here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't help but be a little. Caught off guard, I think. I, I don't think I was prepared for what I was going to see and no. that kind of stuff. But um, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. But um, you know, there's so many guys coming out of this. There's so many guys that came out of this area. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I know. think. I think that's a, that's a result of that. You know, because of the fact that you know, uh, you know, you're talking. We were talking earlier. You were asking a question about the differences. Really, um, American kids for the most part, see baseball or professional baseball, uh, Major League Baseball is entertainment. Um, and so anyway, once they sign, they start seeing it as a profession. And a lot of them sometimes get uncomfortable with what's expected of them or the way things actually operate on a day-to-day basis. The biggest difference are kids here in this country, from the time they're very little, they understand that this is a profession. They understand that. You know, they think it's insane. That, for instance, they ask me all the time, "Hey, how come Americans always want a guy's autograph? What do you do with it?" See, when they see a major league player, they ask them, "Hey, well, how do you hold a bat?" Or, yeah. or they say, "Give me a ball so that they can go play." But they, you know, guy here can stand here. They can have Vladimir Guerrero here. No one's going to ask him for his autograph. They think that's insane. They they don't understand our fascination with the signature on a piece wow. of paper. So they understand from a young age that this is a profession. They understand that. And they know, because of the situation they're in as far as poverty, that this is a way out. So that's, um, and, and honestly, really, that's why you see, and you have seen so many of these players get to the big leagues and be good, which is another reason why we have to be careful with this this modern phenomenon of the, the big bonus baby out of Latin America, because now you've given them what they wanted. So now, why do I got to go suffer and learn well, a language and a culture? For it, right? Yeah, you're giving it to me right away. You know, so before they knew it wasn't about the bonus. It's about the opportunity to be a big leader. And now, all of a sudden, my problems are over. Wow, Yeah. Yeah.
3: Know, you know we were talking earlier, you know, without mentioning any names and stuff, but you get you're going to have these guys coming out July second, the whole thing mm-hmm. um, that show good tools in in BP or they'll you know they'll throw a good bullpen mm-hmm. and gets in games. It doesn't really carry over as mm-hmm. much. Uh, but then you know somebody's going to take a, a chance and give a guy like that a big check. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that that you look for uh, when once the game starts?
0: Well, I mean, the ability to play. I mean, you know, baseball, in my opinion, scouting, it's always been, whether it be in America or here, it, it, there's a balance in this in that, you know, um, you know you, you're looking for tools. Tools are sacred, but they don't pay you. Tools get you to the big leagues, but in the big leagues, they don't pay you to have tools. They pay you to play baseball. So there has to be a balance between the guy's tools and his ability to play the game. I mean, if you're a really good player, but you have no tools, well, you end up being like a minor league player. You end up being a scout like me. <laughs> Or if you have really great tools but you can't play, well, those guys end up hanging around the minor leagues a long time and then they end up in Mexico and then they end up getting run out of there. So that's why, for me, it's always been imperative that I watch the guy in competition between the white lines to see how he's going to react to playing the game. And that's always carried a lot of weight with us and my scouting staff. And we've had success doing it that way. So... um, yeah I mean the game's a big You know, I mean I can see a guy in a workout like the last time that I saw this gentleman we're gonna see today I I established well this is a guy I'd like to see in a game but a lot is going to depend on how I watch him play the game
3: Chris Klein uh, here with uh, Rene Gallo director of Latin operations for the Pittsburgh Pirates Um, you know this is kind of the bread and butter of of why you come down here and go to Venezuela that kind of stuff and Mexico you know, going to Serie del Caribe beginning tomorrow, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people around the game that are in your same position mm-hmm. will take a pass on the on the series. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you see the value in of, of going to to Serie del Caribe?
0: Well, I mean, you know, one of the you know, the things is it's really the like the premier. Baseball um, venue, as far as uh, you know, in the Caribbean, you know, and it's it's the game of baseball, it's people. Uh, you know, you get stars like Miguel Tejada is still playing. They're diving head first. and They make millions in the states, but it's the game, and they're also playing for their country and for pride, so that's one thing. And then, you know, just the visibility. Different countries come in, and people that are that are prominent in baseball from different countries, you know, it's good for us to see each other. Also, in the past, I don't do that with Pittsburgh, but I did coordinate the Winter Leagues with Cleveland, so we were able to acquire players that hadn't, hadn't been signed yet in the Caribbean World Series. And uh, it's something that, you know... It, it, it's, I, I think it's important to be at just, you know, for those things I mentioned. Uh, and, you know, and we're going to watch them play. And you you watch them play in some really intense competition. I remember David Ortiz just putting on the same shows that he's putting on now for Boston. When he got let go by Minnesota, putting those same shows on the Caribbean World Series in Puerto Rico and at that time didn't have a job, you know. So um, if you come down that way, you can still... know get a guy you know you know that's already a pro player but you know for whatever reason you know which is hard to believe now that david ortiz was released you know and now he's like a premier offensive force in major league baseball but it did happen and if it happened in the past it could happen again so uh you know i'm going to try to be there and see if we can catch lightning in a bottle the next time you know
3: renee guy thank you so much for your time
0: appreciate it it. love it love chris klein love baseball america
3: (laughs) take care Renee. So I'm standing here uh, in Boca Chica, the Dominican Republic, just outside the capital of Santo Domingo. I came here on a, a press tour uh, that was hosted by ESPN Deportes, and it's literally, I mean, the Yankees get accused of, of um, hiding players. Uh, I could see why it would be uh, hard to find this complex that costs between 3 and $3.5 million to build. Uh, there's no sign off the main highway, which really isn't a highway, coming in. It says, no entre uh, priv- privada. I'm working on my Spanish. Uh, and then you drive about a quarter of a mile, and then you can start to see the complex, and then you see the kind of the pearly gates with the, with the New York Yankees symbol etched into the middle of it. Um, The team has just kind of finished up uh, their workouts for the day. Um, Harold Garce is finishing up his bullpen, right-hander, signed in November. Uh, So I'm just standing here uh, watching him throw. So uh, we're here in, uh, again, in, uh, in Boca Chica, uh, from here I'll go and see a uh, uh, workout, like a grassroots workout of 14- and 15-year-olds, um, which is about 30 minutes away, uh, closer to La Romana. So, uh, Chris Klein, Baseball America, in the middle of a place where I kind of have no idea where I am. Hope things are well, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Players here at the complex uh, typically have to work here and stay here at the complex. the The, uh, the Yankees complex houses can house up to eighty players. They have um, ten rooms with the capacity to fit eight players in a room. Currently, they're about sixty to sixty one. I guess there's 61 players here in camp currently, but uh, you know down down the stretch when you know the the Dominican Summer League is in full force, um, that's when. That's when uh, everything is pretty much booked up solid. So uh, players have a curfew of 11 p.m. and they're allowed to they're allowed free time on Saturday nights when they have to be back at the complex by Sunday uh, at 5 p.m. So uh, typically right now they're done by 12 or 1, um, and then they take English classes and go through uh, different types of schools. So. Um,